You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Wednesday, September 30th, 2020. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ed Harrison to be joined shortly by Peter Bookbar of Bleakley Advisory Group. But first, Haley Drasnan with the stories of the day. Hey, Ed. Well, markets opened up in the green today as investors digested the first presidential debate last night. Economic data today was broadly positive as well. The ADP employment numbers performed better than expected. And Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin spoke about a potential stimulus package coming along. And I think that really alleviated some of the investor fears following last night's debate. But this morning, too, we're also seeing companies grappling with layoffs. You know, I think the impact of the coronavirus pandemic is taking a toll. Disney, for example, is laying off 28,000 people in the U.S. as the pandemic hammers its parks and resorts business. Royal Dutch Shell will slash as many as 9,000 jobs by 2022. And tens of thousands of airline jobs are also at risk this week, United Airlines and American Airlines especially. U.S. Airlines promised to keep workers on until October 1st, uh, when they first accepted that federal bailout funds earlier this year, but that ends on Thursday. You know, some airlines have talked about holding off on layoffs, though, until a Congress passes a stimulus package, so we'll see what happens there. Another thing we're keeping a close eye on is the IPO market. You know, it's the busiest month of IPOs in history, and that could end today uh, with two tech companies, Palantir and Asana. You know, these two tech companies are really taking a different approach to going public on the New York Stock Exchange through a direct listing. Palantir is the secretive data firm that works with government agencies like the CIA, the Department of Defense, and other large private companies, and Asana makes workplace software. You know, this direct listing approach is relatively unconventional. Uh, We only saw two other major companies utilize this in the last few years. That was Spotify and Slack back in 2018 and 2019. So, you know, we'll really see how this unfolds with the IPO market today and uh, whether this listing, these via direct listings, will go smoothly. Smoothly. At the time of this recording, Palantir is listed at $7.25 as their share price, and uh, Asana is listed at $21, so we'll monitor that as the day goes on. And it's also interesting to note that both of these companies were born out of Silicon Valley by you know, uh, former Facebook employees, um, billionaires today. Dustin Moskowitz, he founded Asana, uh, and he uh, got out of Facebook right before it went IPO in um, 2012, and he was Mark Zuckerberg's former roommate at Harvard. Um, And when you look at Palantir, it's founded by Alex Karp and Peter Thiel. And uh, Alex Karp recently moved the company to Denver uh, from Silicon Valley uh, just this summer um, because of what he calls a monoculture in Silicon Valley. And Peter Thiel, you know, he is behind Founders Fund and he is the largest shareholder in this company as well in in Palantir. Um, It's also uh, interesting to note that 
in our campaign, How Has Everything Changed? Uh, we speak tomorrow with Keith Raboy. He's a general partner at Founders Fund, and he walks us through these video and productivity tools, the software, and he thinks the most valuable tools will be the ones that allow you to recreate emotional experiences of working with people. So I highly recommend you checking that out. Back to you, Ed. Thanks, Haley. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Peter Bookvar, great to talk to you again. Same here, Ed. Always fun. Always fun. And, you know, I, um, I was just thinking that we, we met uh, eons ago now in uh, a retreat up in New Hampshire, a, a very fun uh, event, I might add. Yes, that, that, that was a cool experience for a weekend. So, uh, Peter, let's, uh, you know, here I was telling you right before I'm thinking here's how I'm thinking about it, because uh, there's a lot of uh, ambiguity about what's happening in the economy. And I, I read some of your recent uh, uh pieces at the book report. And I wanted to delve into what you're talking about in terms of the macro economy. And then I want to take a look at what that means, both in terms of inflation, but also in terms of markets. Uh, you know, a contrarian view that you might have as to what's priced in and, you know, what's the pain trade, what what's not priced in. So let, let's start with that. Um, uh, the thing I wanted to start with for you is I saw the piece that you did on housing. Everyone's talking about the fact that we've got uh, a, a housing market is stellar. That's holding the economy up pretty well. Uh, but there's a, a move out of the cities. Um, what, what's going on there with mortgage rates, housing? What sort of impact do you think that's having? Well, it's certainly a combination of, of uh, the desire for the burbs, more space, uh, m millennials that, that can afford a down payment, don't want to rent, uh, that want to own. And yeah, it is spurred by lower mortgage rates. Uh, I think the caveat, though, is that price increases are accelerating to such an extent that it's beginning to offset the benefit of lower mortgage rates. So yeah, uh, I get to get a mortgage, 30 mortgage under 3%, but I just paid up 10% relative to the same house uh, a year ago. So uh, we can't just look at, at, at one um, angle of this. And the, the price affordability issue will eventually slow the housing market because it gets more difficult to afford the down payments. And you can stretch your budget only to a certain extent. Now, if you're getting an FHA loan, you only need to put three, three and a half percent down. Well, then you can maybe better afford that, that down payment. But if you're still more of a conventional borrower that still needs to put down 10 to 20 percent, uh, these aggressive price increases uh, are, are going to mitigate the benefit of uh, lower mortgage rates. So there is called this sort of pent up demand via COVID. The question is, is when that is satisfied and, and when does the rubber meet the road in terms of, of pricing? Uh, we haven't seen that yet. Obviously, the, the industry is, is seeing some good days right now. Uh, we do need more supply because inventories are pretty thin. But um, I think it's something to watch in, in 2021 if these price gains uh, continue at this really accelerated pace. Right. So you're saying that it's not necessarily the case that it will continue to be something that undergirds the economy going forward. 
I mean, I think big picture demographically, millennials will be uh, a, a great bid to, to the housing market as as they want to live in homes just as as our generation did. Uh, but it, it's just it in at least in a, in a short term window, you can't sustain a healthy housing market if home prices are rising five to ten percent a year, even with low mortgage rates. Something right. needs we need to slow things down to allow people to afford. And, and I'm really talking about you know more of that first time home buyer because the, the the one that already is in an existing home that's benefiting from higher prices, well, if they want to up uh, bought purchase to another house, they at least are getting a better price for their existing one. So I'm really talking about that first time buyer, but that's the millennial. It's their that first time cohort that wants to be in a home, but we just have to be careful that we don't price them out. Yeah, you know, uh, speaking of millennials, just down the street from me, a woman, she lives with her son who's moved back in from his condo. He's actually brought a friend with them. They live there now, uh, you know, because they lost their jobs in the pandemic. But when you look at the last ADP report, it said that 749,000 uh, private sector jobs were created. That was at least 100,000 more than was expected. Do you see then, uh, you know, for the millennials who were hit the hardest uh, by the pandemic and the loss of jobs, do you see that coming, continuing uh, that upside momentum in the jobs picture? Well, to give perspective, we lost about 20 million jobs and we've gotten back about half. So, we're, yeah, we're making progress, but obviously there's still a ways to go. And I think it's going to it's going to take time. And I'm stating the obvious there. Obviously, it's going to take time. The question is, is how much time and whether a vaccine quickens that 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 getting back to where what we lost or if this just continues to get dragged out. And um, I think we'll, we'll get some uh, sense on that over the next couple of months, whether it's the election and that'll determine what policy is going to look like into next year in 2021. I'm sorry. And 2022. And, and what is going to be the results of, of some of the vaccine trials that are going on right now that we're going to get information on in the next couple of months? Well, you know, that, that's a, a, all a hairy thing with regard to the vaccine. I know that uh, President Trump, he talks about the vaccine coming out now. And then obviously uh, some of his people talk about it being ramped up by the middle of next year. He, he talks about it being earlier what's the likelihood that, that that's all going that timetable is going to play out from what you're hearing uh in a way that would be positive for the jobs picture uh and some of the other things that we're going to talk about in a little bit so he he's just you know getting the calls from the the drug company CEOs that are basically telling him about their timeline and you know his commentary oh we're going to get something by late October, early November, and his hope is obviously before the election, is that the Pfizer trial that's going on right now. So the Pfizer is telling him that we should have data uh, over the next month. Uh, they're right now testing 40,000 people, and, and the hope, is, of course, is, is there's good results. And since they're in phase three, uh, that can determine uh, the actual vaccination of, of, of uh, parts of the population in the latter part of this year if it, it goes well if there's a very limited and small number of, of people getting affected by side effects. And if there's side effects, hopefully it's no more than just, you know, a fever or a headache that goes away within a couple of days. But that is, it, it is a possibility. I mean, that, that, that we do get that. And then that's uh, going to be followed possibly with, by the end of the year by Johnson & Johnson that just ramped up their uh, testing to 65,000 people. So 
the, the reality of, of, of a vaccine or the least effective therapeutics are, are actually coming closer to the forefront and that, you know, maybe we are, uh, you know, sort of at the end of the worst and that we're maybe at the, the, the cusp of some good drug news. Now, maybe this, these don't work and maybe it's, it's like the common cold. We haven't found any cure for HIV or whatever, but there's hope. And from what we've seen so far that, uh, these drug companies, again, whether it's a therapeutic or, or a vaccine that they are creating antibodies that are having an impact, just a question of what the side effects are. And you know, we'll, we'll see what the news is over the next month or two. Well, you know, I think that the positive is that, you know, given the backdrop that you were talking about, and also I spoke to David Rosenberg earlier today, the backdrop he's talking about, uh, it, you know, we, we have some pent up demand potentially going forward. I was just looking at your letter. You talked about jobs and manufacturing. The Chicago Manufacturing Index, you pointed out, jumped to 62.4 from 51.2. Uh, uh, Dave Rosenberg was telling me basically that's all about inventory building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if the economy rolls over, obviously nothing good is going to happen on that side of, of the ledger. But if uh, we get a, a positive vaccine, then you can build those inventories. And then the pent up demand from all of the, the savings that uh, we've had, you know, going from 7% to 18% savings rate will uh, definitely be able to power forward. Is that a view that you, that you, um, that you espouse in terms of, you know, where the, the economy could be in sort of a best case scenario? So, so I, I, I agree with David's point that at least the strength in manufacturing that we're seeing right now is, is certainly uh, an inventory build. I mean, when you think about, we, we shut down the world in April and Mar I'm sorry, March and April. And now that we're seeing a pickup on the demand side with people getting back to work, you need to recoup two months of, of, of everything closed. So that's what we are seeing. And then the question is, is okay, after the shelves are, are restocked, uh, are you going to get, you can have the end demand that is going to be able to sustain that rather than this just being a short term blip. And to your point, yeah, the direction of a vaccine and the news we're going to get in the next couple months uh, are going to be a big determinant of that. Now, we certainly have potentially years of, of behavioral behavioral change that this uh, this pandemic has created in terms of maybe that savings rate does stay elevated. Maybe people have just become, uh, you know, more, more um, against taking on too much debt or whatever. But there's certain things that are going to come back. I mean, I'm going to love going back to a movie and going to a concert and going to a sporting event. And, and, and going out for dinner with tables not that, you know, spaced out six feet to eight feet and, and not walking around with the mask and, 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 and doing things that, that we were doing beforehand. So I do think that there's going to be a part of human behavior that's going to that's gonna rush back because we, 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 we crave those sort of things. Now, bigger picture is there's still a lot of debt and, and, and as I said, savings rate will remain elevated and it's gonna take time to, to hire workers back because that restaurant, while they may be at full capacity, maybe they had 20 people pre-COVID, maybe they only bring back 18 of the 20. It's great, it's most of the workers, but still two that don't have a job. So it's still gonna take a while to get back to uh, that three and a half percent unemployment rate that we saw pre-COVID, but I do think there are certain aspects uh, are going to come back quicker. And I think uh, travel, let's take that for an example, because we know that that is a big uh, part of, of the global economy, particularly, you know, the airline industry and, and leisure and, and hospitality and so on that, yeah, 
business travel may take time to come back because, you know, that day trip from New York to Chicago may take place on Zoom instead. You know, I do think that there there is going to be a desire to get the convention business back and to and to to start resuming life. And you look at China, and I like to use them as an example, is is China is reopened. Movie theaters are 90 percent uh, capacity to where it was pre-COVID. And domestic travel is up almost is up to the point where where it was pre-COVID. And is that gonna be it's gonna be up year over year? And restaurants are full again and 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 theme parks are 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 back. And people have short memories and they, they want to get back to, to the life that they led. So um I, I I I those are the things that I'm beginning to think about as we are seemingly getting closer to possibly uh, a workable vaccine that's gonna mass inoculate. Uh, a lot of the world over the next uh, 12 months. Well, let's talk about that then in uh, in investment terms. Uh, what does that mean to you in terms of what's priced into the market now and what potentially could be the opportunity going forward in the markets given a scenario, an upside scenario like that? Well, it seems that you know everyone's all in on the work from home theme and, and everyone wants nothing to do with the reopening and vaccine theme. Uh, that it's you know the airline industry, the hotels, the casinos, um, you know the, the 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 travel companies. Those stocks are down dramatically, uh, down by half uh, from where they were. Where a lot of the work from home and big cap tech and software companies and Zoom and all that are are trading you know at or near 52-week highs. So I, I I think that that maybe investors need to start thinking about, well, this pandemic is not forever. And we, we, we've already had the, we think it's forever trade, and those stocks have done really, really well. And we're potentially on the cusp of some, some good drug news in the next couple of months that, that could really lead to some outperformance in the losers and some real dramatic underperformance in the winners. And I'll add even, you know, the commodity space, because mm. I'm I'm a big believer that inflation is coming our way, and we're already beginning to see uh, the 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 beginnings of it. And because we saw uh, you know upside down supply chains around the world over the last six months, we have capacity constraints uh, on the supply side, and we're having demand that even before a vaccine that's staying elevated from all this fiscal spending, where we could get another trillion to two tr- a trillion and a half to two trillion dollars that that has. Uh, net worth higher than it was pre-COVID. So you have elevated demand that will be even further elevated with a vaccine to the supply side that is going to be uh, difficult, uh, can have a difficulty in, in keeping up. Uh, so the commodity space is another area that will benefit from um, a, a vaccine and this inflation trade. And what will not, on the flip side, because no lunch is free here, is that I think that uh, the world's bond markets are the sale of the century Mm-hmm. On, on, on an effective vaccine. And uh, I, I find it hard to believe that the 10-year bond yield is going to be 65 basis points if Pfizer comes out and says, okay, uh, this works, uh, emergency authorization, let's start vaccinating healthcare workers and and other part, and, and the elderly, uh, getting ready for a ramp up in Q1, Q2 next year. So I, I'd, I'd be wanting to flee sovereign bonds uh, if that were to be the case. You know, I noticed that in your uh, report on jobs and manufacturing, you had noted what happened in the Chicago Manufacturing Index. Let me just read from that. I'm looking at that now. It says companies noted increased costs 
for PPE, cleaning supplies, and raw materials. And and then um, you know, in general, they it says that they uh, 52.2 percent reported an increase in business costs during the pandemic, while only 13 percent saw decreasing costs. So in the environment that we're in now, maybe you can't pass those costs through. But in the environment that you're talking about, could you pass those costs through to the end consumer? I I mean, I think companies are trying to do that right now. I mean, look, I, the example I like to give is is as an example of the supply disruptions is you have the passenger airline business that, yeah, took people and their luggage, but also took cargo. Well, imagine, you know, all the flights that have been that have been grounded, all the planes that are now sitting in hangars. So there's been a huge amount of increased demand for for FedEx and UPS. Well, that's giving them pricing leverage. And they announced that they are putting surcharges in every single package that they're going to deliver during the holiday season. So every retailer that's going to be shipping stuff uh, every manufacturer that's going to be shipping stuff from overseas to here, well, they're going to do their best to pass it on to the rest of us. So I think that the the Fed is going to get uh, their inflation faster than they think, not because of them, but in spite of them, and that um, the, the, these capacity constraints uh, with pretty steady demand, again, that's going to be furthered by that vaccine, hopefully, uh, and you're going to see major disruptions. And you now I'm a believer that over time in a secular fashion, prices just go down as as the world does things more efficiently. I mean, there's a reason why a plasma TV today is not $10,000 that it that it was right. 15 years ago is because that that's good deflation. It's we've done things more efficiently. This the, the computer system that, that I'm on the laptop, you know, there's a reason why it's cheaper today than it was 10 years ago and 20 years ago. So there's always, there's always a natural uh, suppression of prices. So any inflation that we've seen historically are more cyclical bursts. But I do think that that's going to be a story of 2021. And uh, the globe, the world's bond markets are certainly not set up for that. There's this, this belief that rates are going to stay low for zero. People think the 10-year yield in the U.S. is going to go to zero or even negative, And that rates are just going to be low forever. And while the, the world's central banks may keep short rates low forever, I don't think the long run of the bond market is going to be that way, uh, especially if we get a vaccine. Yeah, very interesting because yeah, as I was talking to uh, Rosenberg, he was saying that yes, the 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 long-term secular trends were were in place before uh, uh, COVID, and he believes they'll be there after. But you're making a play uh, from a, a cyclical, not necessarily a secular perspective. Correct, and, and and when you look at as I mentioned earlier, the areas of the market that have been neglected are the ones that are going to benefit the most. If I'm right, commodities value stocks, the leisure and hospitality names, and those that are going to suffer are going to be Zoom. That's, you know, trading at, you know, it's a you know, great thing that we've, that, that, that have, that has helped us. But, you know, the valuations of 10, 20, 30 times sales for some of these, these high flyers, if rates go up, uh, you're not going to be able to, to sustain these PE ratios and that the whole work from home trade uh, is going to reverse itself. And again, there are going to be trends that are going to still be embedded like there's probably going to be less business travel and there's still going to be things going on over Zoom. But I, I think there'll be parts of life that are going to resume quicker than, than, than people think. Memories are short. Human nature is human nature. And uh, I'd be careful with extrapolating uh, some current trends and thinking they're just going to last forever from here. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You know, um, it's almost as if you're, you're talking about uh, the uh, uh, growth in, in, its, in its guise now over value as a manifestation of secular stagnation. It's as if people are saying, look, you know, there's going to be no growth. So let's go where the growth is. Let's go. Let's bid up these shares in these places where we can get some some growth. We can get some, you know, some oomph. And and, and that's what's what's causing the, the massive divergence between value and growth. But you're saying that that divergence is going to reverse and you would go into the value uh, sectors more so. Uh, and you talked about some of those value sectors. What, what about other value sectors like financials, as an example? Uh I, I looked at the financials and, you know, they're trading at uh, 10 times, you know, 14 times in Citibank's even trading at eight times earnings right now. Yeah, the financials obviously have been this massive value trap. Uh, the, the, the world's central banks have, have killed the business model of, of, of taking in deposits and lending them out profitably uh, via negative interest rates, zero interest rates, uh, a, a killed yield curve where, uh, every every incre- incremental loan is done at a uh, a smaller margin, and uh, so <laughs> the banks feel like they have to make up in volume, but you know th- there, there's not enough volume uh, to do that. So uh, profits are squeezed. Therefore, they need a steeper yield curve to offset that. Uh, and yeah, if I'm right, and the long end sort of tightens for the Fed, if we do get inflation, we do get a vaccine, that will certainly be. Uh, a, a, a welcome respite for the financial sector. Now, a lot of small and, and regional banks meet that 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 cater to small, medium-sized businesses. A lot of their lending is is, is LIBOR plus, so they need really more of a, a rise in the Fed funds rate that can raise uh, LIBOR to to improve their margins. Uh, but it would be a lifeline if we had if banks had a yield curve again, and um, if I'm right on inflation, it would. Uh, getting back to the leisure and hospitality theme, you know, a, a space that I'm involved in is is the uh, the UK pub sector. Stocks mm-hmm. have been cut in half, and I think there's one lesson that has been learned is that it's probably not a good idea to shut down again. So the UK, which just announced more restrictions, where pubs need to close at 10 o'clock, well, that's a far different thing than shutting everything down. And if you th- do think that there's going to be uh, a vaccine scene again and people like to to drink beer and and a pint after work then the, the these businesses will come back to the way they were now of course you have to pay attention to the balance sheets you need to have a company that's going to be able to survive uh this downturn uh you, you look at a, a a stock like msg entertainment to use another name uh that owns madison square garden and radio city music hall and well, you know, they need events again. But if you think that in 2021, again, there's going to be a vaccine. And if you have a balance sheet that can last through it, these stocks are probably worth double uh, where they are trading. So if you're going to look at opportunities over the next couple of years, if you assume that COVID is not with us for the rest of our lives, then this is, I think, the areas of the market that you're going to get uh, outsized returns rather than buying stocks today that have $2 trillion market caps and, and, and thinking that they're going to go to $4 trillion, which they're not. 
Right. You know, uh, you, when you were talking about the pub opening times, it, it brought back some some uh, memories uh, when I, I lived in London. And I think the pubs closed at 11 o'clock or something. I can't remember uh, what time. It was really early. And I just remember people pounding, uh, you know, drinks as many as possible bef- uh, so that they could get as drunk as possible, you know, to be able to last through the evening. And so at some point, I think it was Tony Blair he uh, he extended the pub opening time. So 10 o'clock actually is not that much worse than it was in like 1997, 98, as I remember it. Yeah. And, and j- just imagine the business they're going to do the, 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 the night of, of uh, good vaccine news. Right. Vaccine yeah, definitely. You know, um, I don't know if you saw, but Haley Drasnan, uh, she uh, did the report earlier today, uh, r- earlier in this section on Palantir and um, Asana, uh, two companies that did direct listings today. It really seems to me that this is a part and parcel of a new sort of IPO, you know, uh, you know, retail investor-led uh, type of boom, the likes of which we haven't seen in quite a long time. I would say probably since the, uh, the internet days uh, in the late 1990s. Are you at all concerned? I mean, irrespective of the, the apples at two billion going to four billion, are you at all concerned about that aspect of the markets and how would you deal with that, that aspect of the market going forward? Well, I, I think these are you know, very exciting companies uh, that have really interesting businesses. Uh, I think it more comes down to just valuation. You know, I don't think anybody questions you know, Apple's business model. I mean, you, you, can, you can question their growth prospects from here and you know, who doesn't have a smartphone and you can argue that you know, Apple essentially their biggest part of their business is just an upgrade model, but it, it's a value, valuation question. You know, just as uh, it, look look in 1999, 2000, no one had a more dominant market share than Microsoft. They right. had what 85 percent of of the PC software business. They were more dominant then than any any tech company is today. Certainly more dominant than Apple. You know, in terms of their global business or or Amazon, anything. But it didn't stop the stock from falling 65% and taking almost 15 years to get back to where it was in 2000. And you look at Intel and you look at Cisco uh, and Oracle relative to where these companies were in, in, in 2000. So, you know, that, that, that's a, a lot of, of, of my worries is more a valuation perspective rather than uh, a, a business model fundamental standpoint that, uh, you know, we priced in. Uh, many, many, many years of earnings. I mean, I remember when it was Scott McNeely at Sun Micro was was questioning why would anybody pay 10 times revenue for his stock? Well, there's a long laundry list of, of, of software companies and tech companies that are trading at 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times revenue. So uh, St- Scott McNeely is probably laughing you know, in, in his, his, his nice house somewhere uh, at, at the valuations. Again, not questioning... Uh, the, the excitement of the, of the technology and the business models, uh, it all comes down to, to valuation. And we know when, when people are giddy, they, and, and they create these, these, uh, these new things and, and, and day trading and, and SPACs and all these exciting things. I mean, you look at a SPAC, and you're like, okay, you're going to convince people to just say, trust me. Now, of course, the SPAC model allows the, the, the owner to redeem if they don't like the business that is bought. But you know, why can't you just wait until seeing after what, you know, what, what, what's been bought? Um, 
So it's and just you know, a- Lee Cooperman, he uh, he told told me that they offered him a SPAC. You know, they said, "Hey, why don't you raise a SPAC based upon your your name?" It's just a, a just another way to IPO a company, and uh, you know, you have these high profile investors that just say, "Trust me," and uh, don't worry. And you know, if you don't like what I do, you can take your money back. And it's it's just another way of IPOing. But again, it comes down to valuation and the price is price paid. The higher price you pay. The less your future return, the lower price you pay, the greater your future return. Very good points. You know, uh, before we go, Peter, any last thoughts on uh, where we are right now, especially with regard to your contrarian take uh, about the vaccine and, and inflation? Well, I just think, too, that I, I just think that, that, that when you're looking at over the next couple of years and, and your investors are, are, are looking for outsized returns, you, you, you got to change your mentality from you know the last six months and not just extrapolate that they're just going to continue for years. And even also for the last you know five to ten years, like what's worked the last ten years isn't necessarily what works for the next ten years. and I, and I think that people have to start thinking about out of the box scenarios that can surprise you uh, and 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 what, again, what has worked and what is reflected in its valuation may not be the winners over the next couple of years. And that the stocks that have gotten killed, uh, maybe they uh, start to uh, outperform and maybe that reflects uh, the areas of the market that, that you should be in over the next couple of years. And just lastly, uh, I'll, I'll repeat again that if we do get a vaccine, which I'm hopeful that we do get that's workable and we'll have good news over the next couple of months, uh, I, I think the world's sovereign bond markets are the sale of the century. Great, great, uh, uh, great thinking. Uh, well, well, let's take a look and see how this plays out over the next couple of months. We'll, I'm sure we'll have you on before then, but uh, looking forward to seeing how this thesis plays out. Really appreciate your coming and talking to us. Thanks, Ed. I really appreciate you having me on. You bet. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.